we're not sure of how much you heard from Coach Miller, so we'll have him start again with the bottom line reasons for SMU pulling out the ball game tonight by five. All right, we are working on this, and again, we apologize for the issue. Coach, uh, Am I go, on? go ahead. Am I on? Is it working? Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah, listen, guys, we had uh, we had a lead late in the game on the road, and we did some really good things to get ourselves in that position. John going down is a big blow. He's starting to play great. Uh, he's, a, yeah, in a lot of ways, the most – I mean, it's not fair to rank. Like, it's, it's hard to play without him because there's, there's yeah. nobody else out there that right. does what he does with his length, his versatility. He's a key on the offensive board. He's starting to get some offensive swagger to him and, you know, play like the guy that, you know, I knew we recruited. And, and so I, I thought our guys handled that really well. You know, Abdul sprained his ankle again uh, a couple days ago, and he's in foul trouble. I, th I thought we handled that well, playing lineups we haven't been playing, playing guys extended minutes. You know, Jared, so I, we put ourselves in position, and but listen, loose balls, uh, defensive rebounds, silly fouls, uh, guarding the ball in space, um, the turnovers out front. I, I like it, that that's what happens down the stretch, and you do that stuff on the road, you lose, and that that's there's no way to sugarcoat that. <laughs> there's, I mean, there's, no, there's nothing I can say to, to make that sound any better. That's what the heck happened. Uh, and we'll have to, I told the guys in the locker room, like, you did some great things. You showed a lot of fight here the last couple days. You know, I, I, I'm not into moral victories. That's the expectation that I have is that you, you put that jersey on, you fight your freaking tail off, and you never give in. And I told the guys, I, I, it's, it's inevitable. If you play high-level basketball and you do this long enough, you're going to go through tough stretches. It is inevitable. It is a part of, like, the facts of life in basketball, okay? It's like, I, it's not the first time. and I, I, It's been a long freaking time since I've been through it. I can't even remember the last time I lost five games in a row. It's, it's happened. I, it's been, I told, they were probably in middle school or lower school the last time it happened. Mm. But it's happening. And to me, we have to learn from it, grow from it. And you have a, two choices when you're dealing with, with with things like this, when you're dealing with really tough stuff. You can handle it the right way or the wrong way, which really means we only have one freaking choice. And I expect everybody in that locker room to handle it the right way. Staff, head coach, players, managers, everybody all the way down. And that's what we'll do. I love the fact that you face the music and you come out and you always... You're very honest with, with us, and you're very honest about your team and very honest about their effort. 27 fouls led to 40 free throw attempts, which was the most since 2010. That obviously didn't make you happy. But in, in saying all that, you still had opportunities to pull this out late with two minutes to go. Yeah, I'm not happy with our ability to guard in space and, you know, our ability to, to maintain defensive discipline. And Davis is a load, right? I mean, I like we know that. Um, and then I'm not into freaking excuses, guys. So, I'm, I, it, listen, it, our defense isn't the same without John Newman. That makes it a harder. He covers up a lot of space. When, Duel, when Duel's Abdul is Abdul, like we, and we've seen him, like, what he can do defensively, mm -hmm. he, he creates, he covers up a lot of stuff, and we don't have that. That's not an excuse. we got to overcome that. That's what good teams do. That's what great teams do. You can look around college basketball. People have dealt with stuff, and great teams have dealt with stuff, and they still overcome it. So I'm not giving any dang excuses, but you're looking out there and seeing that. And, you know, if you're a young player in that game, 
there's some errors, and we'll watch them on tape. Like, we ain't, we're not going to sweep this, this shit under the rug, okay? But there's a chance to really learn because there's, there's some young players making some errors defensively that, that we got to learn from so they're not young players anymore. Appreciate your time and your patience. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks, 76-71, SMU a winner. We've got one order of business left tonight. Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Wah. 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 That is the sound of Bearcat fans dating back five games, five straight L's, Temple, UCF, South Florida, three stalwarts of the American Athletic Conference. Houston, okay, we knew it. My mother-in-law asked me today, oh, is there a chance we could beat Houston? I was like, no. I didn't even let her finish the sentence. I said, no. Uh, SMU. Uh, This one hurt uh, because... You know, and I said this, uh, I think, after the Temple loss, before my, my child was born, that I would actually take these next four L's if we got the one win at SM to keep the streak alive. But like Wes said, we're here on the pod, and uh, we, won't sweep, we won't sweep this shit under the rug. It's a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat fan. <laughs> Welcome back, buddy. We actually recorded zero episodes while you were gone. You're that valuable to the podcast. Sleep deprived. I, I received the the pleasant text today that said, I'm up for a podcast today, if you are, after the SMU game. And of course I am. And I was hoping it would be a celebratory occasion, celebrating the end of a four-game losing streak. But alas, we are discussing the end of the Cincinnati Bearcats regular season. Wes Miller's first regular season as Cincinnati Bearcats head coach. And it concluded with a loss at SMU 76 71 SMU's first time beating the Bearcats in 11 in 11 tries. Uh, It's been a remarkable run. We had 10 consecutive victories heading into this game. Bearcats finished their season heading into the AAC tournament. Granted, there's still games to play, hopefully games plural, but they finished the regular season 17 and 14, seven and 11 in the American Athletic Conference and losers of nine of their last 12 games. Hummer, I ask you, is this a remarkable outcome for Wes Miller in his first season as Cincinnati Bearcats head coach? You know what, Kimmer? It is truly remarkable. It is truly remarkable that Wes Miller was capable of producing a squad that lost twice to Temple, uh, lost to South Florida, put up a banger against Monmouth, dropped the ball. Like, fifth third isn't even an intimidating place to play this year it felt like people came in there and they loved playing at fifth third yeah it was weird 
you know, when, when you, when it's like, all right, we're at home, this should be, you know, good. This didn't feel that, that way. I wouldn't use the word remarkable. I, I wouldn't use the word great, obviously, because that's just, you know, just a synonym there. But I'm not even going to say it was as good. It was just going to, it was a season. It was there. It was a season. That's probably the title of the episode. Uh, it was a season indeed. And look, there's still an outside chance that the Bearcats could go on a truly magical run. We saw a very meh Bearcats team last year take it all the, all the way to the American Athletic Championship. And I have to be honest, if we can avoid playing Houston at all costs in the tournament, got to feel like there's always a puncher's chance. Um, that said, that said, I don't actually want to go full macro full Debbie Downer. I don't actually think there's a reason to be full Debbie Downer about the season. I think there's actually reasons for optimism. There's things to be positive about. There's things to be concerned about. Now, what we probably should start with is the five-game run. Uh, this five-game losing streak. We lost at home to Temple, at UCF, home to South Florida, and then we went on the road and, and lost two to Houston and SMU. If we had been recording a podcast... After that South Florida loss, I actually think our tone would have been dramatically different. I think it felt like the world was coming apart when that happened and, and, and that there were far less reasons for optimism for a number of reasons. The roster and rotation was being emphasized toward players who are near the end or at the end of their career with the Cincinnati Bearcats. We saw Micah Adams Woods getting, you know, like a 66 33 split with Mike Saunders Jr., which based on the play on the court didn't seem appropriate. It's also important to note Mike Saunders Jr. is like a 19 year old sophomore. This is a very young player with a lot of room for growth. I think he's about two, two and a half years younger than Mike Adams Woods. So there's a big difference there in terms of uh, what their career arcs might look like. You saw Abdul Adu and Hayden Koval. Uh, leading the Bearcats in minutes at the center position. You never really got to see Victor Locken get significant stretches at the center position where, where he will ultimately be most comfortable. We weren't seeing Odio Guama get significant stretches of basketball. We weren't seeing uh, Jared Hensley get big stretches. So what changed though, is during Houston, during SMU, Wes Miller did seem to pivot his rotation strategy. He started to get those guys minutes. And I think, Based on what we saw in these games, it's not like I'm going to come away and say, hey, we're going to win the American next year. But I will say we saw flashes of what some of these younger players can do when they're playing their best basketball. And that should lead us to have some some shred of optimism heading into an offseason that is going to be Wes Miller's first full offseason working with these players. Mike Rayfeld's first full offseason working with these players and then bringing in enhancements like Josh Reed and Daniel Skillings. Am I making you feel any better? Well, I'm, I'm optimistic on the future. I am actually bullish on, on the remainder of the West Miller era of basketball that we're about to see. Uh, when it comes to this season, you know, it's like this is, I guess, is that opportunity where you have guys whose stock is – is volatile on any given day. A guy like Jeremiah Davenport has become a polarizing player, uh, you know, amongst the fans at, at a fifth third arena, because, you know, one day he's capable of carrying the team and, and dropping the 20 spot, you know, and shooting lights out from three. But then there's, there's games where, 
you know, he's basically the detriment to the team where he's, he's going one from eight from three point land. And it's not like the, the shots a lot. And he's, he's not the only one who's, who's guilty of this by any means, but I feel like he's the most egregious offender of it, of taking the Seth Curry, greatest three point shooter in the history of the NBA level three pointer from basically near half court, not looking on one leg, leaning forward, just not being balanced, and just it is basically doing it early in the shot clock and just essentially destroying any shred of offense that the Bearcats could have put together. Because we saw this today against SMU, like, yes, this was a loss, but I actually think there was some positives that we could take away from this game. We actually didn't look inept on offense for the most part. Correct. For the most part. Correct. No, no. I think that, well, we were coming off a stretch of basketball where we scored – uh, 61 points against UCF, 54 points against South Florida, 53 points against Houston. We go to SMU and score 71. Now that's against a team that we've always matched up very well against. But yeah, we were yearning for some productivity on that end. And I do think that we saw we, we saw plenty of good basketball. We were winning this game down the stretch and frankly should have won. And frankly, the, the officiating in this game was incredibly fishy. Was in, it smelled like microwaved salmon in the arena. I imagine I need to reach out to our boy Tonk who was, I guess, you know, behind the bench and ask him was the was the smell of microwaved fish permeating the arena because the officiating down the stretch of that game was downright abysmal, abysmal and, Hummer. And it's I'm glad you mentioned it. Cause it does need to be talked about to the extent that, you know, it was a close game. It did affect the outcome. There, there was this, for instance, the, the most agree, there's two ones that actually are going to stick out. The, the non-foul by Mason Madsen on the block at the end of the second half um, that, that results in, in a two-point, two-point, uh, free, two free throws, egregious. But turned, then, out, turned out to be incredibly, incredible good foreshadowing. Uh, like if, if an author was writing this, the, uh, the novel of this game, that scene is what would be the tell for what was to come in the second half. Yeah. And then you had David to Julius on a, basically a wide open, you know, drive to the lane for a layup that is missed. And you're like, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to give David to Julius credit here. He doesn't miss those. He does not miss wide open layups to the lane like that. And it would have cut the lead Gets, to one. Just get absolutely hacked. One, yeah. one. And then the next one, I think it was, um, was it Hensley down low or was it, I think it was Hensley down low, just gets completely, once again, a wide open, would have been a dunk type of type of shot, gets absolutely murdered down there in, in no call. But when you go back to it and you look at it, we gave up 48 points in the second half. Like, And, and like know, Wes Miller, he said it in the post game. Like we, we didn't have John Newman who does, he is the linchpin of our defense. I think that's totally fair. You could tell he was frustrated by his absence, frustrated by him, sustaining another injury when John Newman had things really kind of coming into form here to end the year, it, it is a big loss. And I, I'm not going to pretend it's not, especially because without John Newman, there's literally nobody on the perimeter with size to guard anybody. Like he is the one perimeter defender with size on this team. And without him, it does, it, it's at a minimum disruptive to your defensive game plan. I don't know. We also didn't have a do for large stretches down there. Not that he was, you know, helping us with offense, but he was having a great defensive game. It was rebounding the ball. Well, he was blocking shots. He was, he was making life difficult for SMU down low. Uh, 
him going out, I think, you know, was a bigger, a bigger shock to the team than, than what you would normally expect, given that he's really not an offensive a, a product producer. Um, you know, I, I love Wes's quote though. You know, we won't sweep this shit under the rug. Said that on live radio for everybody to hear. And you know what? I love it. I'm here for it. It's great because it's so off brand. He's Mr. You know, good Southern boy, no curse words. God, you know, what, what do people say when you, when you don't curse? I don't even know. Cause I, cause I curse too much. Uh, gosh, darn it. You know, a bunch of that. And, and this was just a, a straight up dang, dang nabbit. Dang, dang nabbit. nabbit. These guys. <laughs> yeah. Let, letting it fly at the end of the year. Honestly, you, you, but he you, should be, he you, should be. You, finally heard the fr- you heard the frustration. You heard the frustration. That's what I loved about it. Yeah, that you. I don't want. I don't want to say you've been his toughest critic, but you've been a pretty a pretty fair critic of of Wes Miller in his first year. You know, you're you know wanting to make sure that he's being held accountable for what we're seeing on the court. Which is, if look, we're we're looking at the microcosm of the season as a whole, but the last five games, like yes, we beat Illinois. Great. The last they had their best games. player. Great. The last twelve games. The last twelve games. We we played Arkansas tight. Great. But the last five games saw a complete just breakdown. No offense, horrendous defense, terrible decision making, just a team that looked uncoached. Like, I, I hate to say it that way, but I don't know how else to put it. They looked like there there wasn't any coaching going on for certain stretches of that where we were going six, seven, eight minutes without a basket. We're playing ISO ball. And look, tonight, I'm actually I'll say this tonight. There were times like the reason why we knocked down nine to twenty-four. We had great step backs that ended up wide open. The Julius was pulling the, the nice NBA, you know, pump fake, take two dribbles to the left, jack up a nice open look three. We want those types of shots. But there's so many times that we don't get those, that we're shooting contested threes with guys in your faces, they're step back, they're deep. And yeah, you're, you're, you're already turning a low percentage shot into an even lower percentage shot every foot you go away from the basket and we're not NBA players. These are not NBA talent players, at least at the moment. The team culture is healthy. The, we are ending a season with a roster that does rally around one another. There was no signs at any point during this very difficult stretch of basketball that the team was packing it in. There is no sign that there's a bunch of discord or a lack of trust or uncertainty from the players about, you know, what the hell are we doing on the court? I don't actually get the sense that any of that is the problem. Um, And from that standpoint, that in itself, from where we were last year, is a big step forward for our program. When you say the team at times looks like it's not coached, my opinion, I, I mean, that's a very harsh way of putting it, but in reality, what I would point to is that there are very very questionable decisions happening early in the shot clock shot shot selection from, you know, Jeremiah Davenport gets to be the face of bad shot selection, but you're right. He's not the only player on the team who, who has questionable such shot selection or decision-making on the court. He's just the poster child for it because he's the most confident guy on the court. Like this guy believes he can make any shot. And at times he makes incredible shots. He played an outstanding second half for the most part, offensively. Multiple post stuff. He had a great game today. That's what I was saying. It's hard to say because he had a, he had set, he's 17, six from 13 from the field. What more do you want there? Three from six, three for six from downtown. What do you want? What do you right. want? That's well, exactly the stat line you want from a guy. 
but regardless of, of whether he makes or misses the shots, in my opinion, at times, the shot selection prevents this team from getting into a flow offensively. It's every single time the ball might be pinging around the perimeter. He's either taking an extra second to pump fake and kind of pretend to get the shot off or he's getting the shot off. And the offense is getting out of flow. It's becoming disjointed and, and it's becoming the Jeremiah Davenport one-on-one show. And to me, where coaching comes into play and, and people will come at you and say, well, there's no better option to, than Jeremiah Davenport. I'm not saying I want someone else on the court. I'm saying I want my coach to teach and hold Jeremiah Davenport accountable to, to making better shots, to, to taking better shots, to making better decisions on the court, to tweaking his game, to being more effective offensively and helping other guys get into a flow and using your size to your advantage on the block or in more advantageous positions because he has incredible touch. But too often we see him settling for much more difficult shots than he has to. And that's where coaching comes into play. And that's where Wes Miller will have opportunities for growth. He's going to have a lot of success at Cincinnati. I am becoming more confident of that actually because of a, the obvious work ethic, the obvious, um, the style of basketball he wants to play. I do like that he prioritizes defense. I would say all in all, our defense wasn't as elite as I thought it could be this year. I don't think that we ever really were able to lock in and make that our calling card. And that's, you know, defense first and foremost should have gotten us to 20 wins this season. It should have. This was not an imposing schedule. The American athletic had a down year outside of Houston. All of these teams are pretty blah. And so with a, with an exceptional defense with a, a team that played really good defense night to night, we should have gotten to 20 plus wins. It just should have happened. And we, and we should hold, we should expect that. Like I respect Wes Miller enough to expect our team to rack up 20 wins with a schedule like this. And we didn't do it. And that's disappointing. And I'm sure Wes Miller is disappointed in that too. I'm not trying to make the, the law here. I'm, I'm trying to look up the, uh, what are our, the American men's basketball tournament brackets going to look like here? Because I was seeing that it looks like we're playing uh, South Florida in round one, right? A team that not only did they, they beat us, but then but we beat them, but we, we beat the snot out of them. Right. We, we put a nice little, we put a nice little victory together uh, at their place, but then we let them walk in the fifth third and steal one. Right. We put a beat down on Central Florida. You pointed out we match up really good against, sorry, since SMU. We match up really well against them and they squeak. In my opinion, this was a squeaked out victory for them at their court. And we get to play both of these teams. If we win, we're going to play SMU. Mm, I'm actually feeling confident that we're going to, we're going to get two more victories here before the end of the season. I just, I don't know. That's, that's the feeling I have. I think Wes Miller, like you, you mentioned it, the culture and everything that he's built. I think what it's going to come down to is once again, it's just going to come down to shot selection. It's going to be playing fun. I'm going to call it fun basketball, you know, looking for that next pass, looking for the outlet, not relying on, on ISO ball. And, you know, I'm hoping they can get it done. These are two very winnable games that are going to be coming up for us. Assuming that if we can, if we can get to them, they're very winnable. Uh, that's very true. It seems like the American athletic tournament broke in our favor at this point, based on how we've played, I, you can't with a straight face say 
a team with five consecutive losses and, and nine of 12 losses is going to go on a run and, and make it and go to the tournament. But if we were going to look for a roadmap, what we're looking at is about as favorable as a roadmap as we could ask for. Here, here's the thing that gets me a little bit excited heading to the tournament. There was a point in the second half where I was feeling amped up, and it's because I've been desperate. I've just been desperate and pleading and, and kind of venting at times behind the scenes to, to you, to Brett Stein, calling all my favorite Bearcat basketball buddies and just talking about this team. And if we're going to nitpick Wes Miller's rotations this year, um, one thing I would focus on is I think at times he became too, he became too focused on the continuity game to game of playing the guys the same amount of minutes at the exact same time, whether or not the flow of the game supported when and how much these guys were playing. He seems less inclined to react to individual, you know, an individual player being hot or an individual player kind of being locked in on a given night. And he'd rather probably base it on how guys are playing in practice, how they're executing in games. And I want to kind of have a, a general idea of what our rotation looks game to game. But I think we would have been well served seeing a much more even split for Mike Saunders Jr. and Micah Adams Woods. I, I, I alluded to it earlier. And, and while Micah is really rock solid defensively and he's a low turnover point guard, a low risk point guard, he has just struggled mightily with the jumper this year. He just cannot buy a jumper. It's unfortunate. It's hard to watch for him at times. He, it's not just jump shots. He's, he's smoking layups in the, in the paint. And there's definitely a role on this team for him because of how steady he can be and because of what he can do defensively. Historically, he's done very well on Kendrick Davis. And, and honestly, Kendrick Davis struggled tonight uh, based. He just got to the free throw a bunch, free throw line a bunch. But based on the, the way those guys were playing, it felt like, hey, let's inject Mike Saunders Jr. Speed and athleticism into this lineup. Yes, he's going to make some mistakes. Yes, he's got some boneheaded turnovers, but he can also knock down some threes. He's also found this cheeky little mid range jump shot that is is quite effective. He's able to push the ball in transition at a pace that nobody else on the team can do. There were reasons to do, to do that. Um, hey, instead of a heavy lean toward Abdullah do, or, you know, more minutes for Koval. Hey, let's, let's see what Victor Locken can do in there. Given that he's got a little bit more touch. He's got a very good defensive rebounding rate. He's got a very good uh, vision and passing. Is he putting it all together? No, but there's opportunities to give him more minutes. And then with what we've seen from Hensley lately and the defensive tenacity and the athleticism, Offensively, he's a bit of a train wreck right now. And, and I think it has less to do with the skill, more to do with he is rushed on the court. Every time he gets the ball, he just seems a little bit anxious. He's not comfortable yet. And if he does get comfortable, we see a player with a lot of potential. Um, tonight, even against SMU, we saw him multiple times post up patiently, find Odio Guama one time at the end of the game for what became a, a block shot at the rim, but another time, it drew a foul. Those are the types of developmental plays that say, hey, we need to make sure those, are, those guys are getting minutes. So as we head into the tournament, I want to see Wes Miller continue with the aggressive substitutions and the aggressive, you know, more even splits 
for our bench and our starters? Because I just don't think there's a, a, a ton of difference between the two, except that the younger guys have are higher risk, higher reward. That was long. I mean, I'm sorry. 17. No, it was, it was some really good points there. I mean, that's probably the biggest of the nitpicking I think that you can get when you're, you're talking about Wes Miller's lack of, do we want it? 17 and 14. I, I'm, I'm going to say lack, lack of success. There were, there were some good moments this season. You know, we'll save that for another podcast when we're doing the full rehash for the conference tournament. But you know, I would say this was the definition of the Apollo 13, a successful failure, you know, as in, as in we got through the season, uh, but it's not the results we were looking for that we, th- we could have done better. We could have done better. Um, there was, there's definitely, you know, some, some, some games left on the table that we should have won. And I think you're, you're hitting the nail on the head there with the substitution. It was almost robotic. The way the way they were coming in and out, and at the end of the day, your job as as the head coach is to put, you know, the team in a position to win basketball games, and and to be in the best position to win basketball games. And if that's not starting a do, then don't start it. If it's not starting Micah Adams Woods, then don't start him. If it's taking uh, Jeremiah Davenport out of the game when he takes a super long contested. Steph Curry-esque depth three-pointer, then so be it. Do what you got to do to create these teachable moments. And I think that's the biggest disappointment is that we didn't see enough of that this year, especially late down down here. Because when you go through, go look at the losses for the most part, every single one of them, we shot abysmal. The offense was terrible. The under 20, 25% from three-point land, jacking up uh, over a third of our shots being three-pointers. And the thing is, you don't even have to go through and just look at the stat lines to know or the shot chart to know that of those three-pointers, that ma- the majority of them were not good looks. It's just – it's the MO of this team. I think opposing teams have come in and said, hey, look, Jeremiah Davenport's going to jack the ball up as soon as he gets it, leave him wide open from 15 feet beyond the arc. <laughs> don't go out and guard him. Don't go guard him from five feet beyond the arc. You know, because they'll take the percentage. They'll take the percentage that, that they're going to make it or not. When we get hot, they come out and start playing us. Look, that's what SMU did. But we still had some success today. I just think that you're you're 100 right that that's where I think the the failure part was is is getting better rotations, mixing and matching, and seeing what we could do to get some of these guys experience. Because at the end of the at the end of the day, you're building a great culture. Like you mentioned, these these guys didn't quit. They played hard, even in the losses. Look, this is five miserable losses, and these guys came out tonight fired up. Loved every minute of it until the last like three, but get these, well, get these younger guys in, get them in, get the experience. And look, we're not trying to sit look forward to the next year, but let's get geared up for the tournament, right? You're in a five game losing streak experiment. There's a lot of philosophical conversation to be had here. A lot of it is we've, we've kind of grown up being fans of UC basketball with coaches that historically had very short, leashes short fuses like they don't accept young players or old players for that matter making irrational decisions on the court like they just don't accept it and that's that's our that's ingrained in our brain to the point where this is where the philosophical point comes in i have always wondered like hey can can we get a coach who will like tolerate some mistakes because i feel like the mistakes can actually lead to future growth and it's a difficult line to toe 
And I feel like that's what we learned this season is that Wes Miller came into it saying, Hey, when I took this team over, there was a lot, there was like, I could see the emotional trauma. I could see the fact that these guys were afraid to make mistakes. And we have to factor that context into his first season. And we have to allow the fact that he's taking over a team that, that had just experienced trauma for lack of a better word. Like that, the last guy was so, kind of cruel, kind of bad. So he took the opposite approach is what you're saying and said, you know what? You weren't allowed to fail before. Fail as much as you want and watch. It'll be fine. We'll get through this. I think I, ideally, <laughs> though, when, when you're allowing guys the opportunity to fail, what you should see as the season progresses is you're still learning from your mistakes. You're being coached and you're saying, hey, Jeremiah, that shot you took at this moment. Well, we're watching film, right? You're, you've, the game's over. You're watching film. Jeremiah, you see the shot early in the shot clock, first touch of the game, hand in your face, contested. It's not the shot. That's not the shot for us. Next game, let's, let's do better. But when we continue to make the same mistakes over and over again, that's where it's sort of like, well, where, where's the accountability? Like, how are we, how are we towing the line between freedom to make mistakes and stop making the same mistakes over and over and over again. That's where the challenge is. And, and if you're, if you're defending Wes Miller this year and saying, and you're just afraid to throw up any criticism of him whatsoever. Cause again, this podcast is a fan of Wes Miller. Like I believe in what he's doing. I think it's exciting that we have players like Daniel Skillings and Josh Reed coming into the fold. We do not have players on our roster like those guys. Trey green all accounts really liked his time visiting Cincinnati. And now other folks have offered up the perspective of Wes Miller now has a full season's worth of film that says, come to Cincinnati. I'm going to allow you to play. You have opportunities to earn minutes and we're going to allow you to also learn and make mistakes on the court. I'm going to stick with my guys through thick and thin. All of that's on film and he can sell that to recruits. And that's exciting. I just wonder in the future, can we see a little bit more of like, you know, amen come out of the game. Like we're, we're, it's game 20. We can't be taking that shot anymore. You, you sparked a thought, a thought in my head. I want to get, get Lenny back on the podcast and be like, who did Bob Huggins have the shortest leash with on any, and, and on any team? And, and what was the thing that like, maybe the smallest thing that they've ever witnessed that set Bob Huggins off that made him pull a player that maybe we didn't see, you know, like a guy just like smirked wrong after making a shot and Huggins like, get out. <laughs> It is a funny idea. I, I really don't mind philosophically what he's trying to do. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm saying it out loud and I get it. When you factor in the context of this specific roster of guys and trying to build those relationships, the way Wes Miller coached this year makes a lot of sense. It's just that it didn't yield improvements as the season went on. Instead, we saw a team get worse instead of better. Yeah. And well, I think the worst part comes down to it too is, you mentioned we, we keep harping on the shot selection. It's something that got worse throughout the year. Yeah, you know, there, there's games like, ah, oh God, we go back to after that. Remember, we beat SMU at home. We know SMU is a decent team. They're not bad. They're not great. Um, and we're like, all right, look, we're going to play Memphis. At the time, Memphis was still good. You know, uh, formidable, if you would. Uh, turns out not to be really the case here. But oh, they're about to make the tournament, dude. Memphis got hot. 
when you were when you were busy having babies, Memphis got hot, my friend. I'm not. I'm, what I'm saying is though, is they're not that top. You know, they're not a top 25 team. The way everybody was kind of like saying, "Oh, they're going to just run this league." They Correct. were. They were right. So either way, all points that we're looking at the schedule, we're like, man, this isn't this isn't out of the possibilities that we're going to have 2021 wins going into conference play. You know, and then we rattle off three okay wins. You know, I'm gonna I'm like, I guess you can't really call East Carolina okay, but we beat Wichita at Wichita. Still continue to own Coke Arena. Um, love that, love that place. Second, second home. Not really good for vacationing. It's only good for like you know a full 24 hours and get the hell out, get back to Cincinnati. Uh, but you know, love that, love that place. You know, and it just, it just, it seems it's. I don't know what clicked. Like, what, what game was it where all of a sudden we just started just, I don't know, self-inflicted wounds, self-inflicted non-offensive wounds. And you mentioned it, it's like it's it's not that it wasn't improvement or there was a there was a backpedaling. It was it was regression. And you know, earlier in the year we were talking about regretting regression back to the mean because we were having such great offensive performances. And here we just it was this what was the mean this season? That's what I have a hard time grasping is what was this team? What was what is the identity of this team that you can hang your hat on and say, you know what, this is something we did really, really well. And yeah, I, it's a, it's a remarkably me, unremarkable season. <laughs> remarkably unremarkable. On January 20th, we were 14 and five and we finished the year 17 and 14. On January 20th, we were four and two in conference play and we finished seven and 11. And I think when you look and take the perspective of home losses to Temple, Monmouth, uh, South Florida, and then brutal road losses at Temple, at Tulsa, uh, and then kind of you know poor showings, just really poor showings at UCF, that home game to Memphis, the the retro night. Like I just think it it's clear it was it was it was it was an unremarkable outcome. It's not something that you look at and say this guy can't figure it out. It's not something like that at all. I think that we're already finding reasons and silver linings to be enthusiastic and, and hopeful for the future. But I, but I also say that we, you know, I have enough respect for Wes Miller as a coach and, and respect for his pedigree and respect for what I imagine he thinks he can get out of a roster to say that he thinks they could have done better than 17 and 14. I honestly think I, I see everybody blaming the talent and people trying to run off players. I, I find all of that talk pretty ridiculous. Can we actually address that? Can we? Yeah, let's address the running off of players. To anybody who's out there saying like, "Oh, we just need to," you know, basically turn over the roster and, and bring in transfers. Go yourself. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Last year we were really. And I'm going to say it's losing our minds that we're about to have half the team transfer away. And we had people suggesting fans suggesting on Twitter that we basically run half of the team off and replace them with transfers. Guys, this team is half full of transfers. Like transfers aren't a guarantee that the team goes from being where we are to being top 25. This isn't the era of Bob Huggins where you go and pull Juco players and, and build and build an immediate success. Like that's not where basketball, the state of college basketball is right now. 
I mean, some people would say that is where the state is, right? Some people would say the transfer portal is the new normal and that you can actually reset and rebuild quickly, right? Is it? Is that how is that how these top 25 programs, is that how the top 10 programs are are building their rosters is going to the transfer portal? Is that how Gonzaga's been been sitting here being good for for how many years? Is that how Coach K goes in there and just dominates Kentucky recruiting? Is that how Duke has been a blue blood for the last 30 years and going back to the last five? Is that how Kansas is that how any of these programs really do it is going to rating the transfer portal? No, they go and they recruit. Like that's what it's, it's, I think it's just a little different in that regard. Like maybe, maybe you could go and find some holes to plug and make your roster better for specific needs. But to say you want to build an entire squad or half a squad over it. I think that notion is absolutely ridiculous. Look, it's going to be fine. It's going to be okay. Well, look Stop at it rooting like this. To send players packing. The, the transfer, the transfer portal is a real thing and it's a real element in college basketball. And it, if you're being, you know, the opposite of naive, if you're being rational and level-headed about this whole thing, you'll understand that the Bearcats are likely going to have a couple players transfer because probably most teams will. And that happens based on what the roster makeup is and how many minutes you got this past season and what your pathway is to a prominent role on this team. And if you're not comfortable with that as an individual, of course, those players have rights and, and have the, the the empowerment now to make decisions about where they're going to play the rest of their career. To me, it's just it, it's an ugly look to then re, to react to losing and say, "Get all these guys off the team, cut them." Hard to, whatever I saw, you say. Like, yeah. I just I I to I me saw it's, one guy on Facebook. Literally, this is like the Facebook Bearcats group. I don't mean to cut you off, but I think he was saying like, "Oh, like." You know, Mike Saunders Jr. and, uh, you know, Victor Locke and Mason Madsen. And he listed like four or five players and say, you know, we need to, we need to cut bait and, and go rebuild and, and find from the portal. Like, that is not the answer. Like, I get what you're saying and I understand 100%. We will have guys transfer, guys who don't think they've got enough minutes or guys who don't see a path forward to minutes. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it is part of the game. It always has been a part of the game. We've seen it under Cronin we've seen it here it's that's not the new aspect of it I'm just I'm sick of the fan base who wants to say that that's the way to go no the way to go is for West Miller to do his thing and get some classes under his belt and build the program back to where it was look we didn't lose an arena we don't we don't we have a really great refurbished arena we're getting you know we have great locker rooms we have great great strength and conditioning coaches who've loved this town so much that he he left a top currently a top 20 team program in in Connecticut who has national championship banners in their gym from this from this uh, this century to come back to Cincinnati we have all the pieces of what makes a great program already in place now we've got to rebuild it we got to rebring we got to rebuild it and it takes time it's what it does but right. the answer isn't to cut bait on half these players. Come no, on, it's, it, of course it's not. And the thing, the thing that people are missing the boat on is that we have roster spots. Like there, there will be roster spots to fill on this team. And the way basketball works is it just takes a couple guys. If you raise the level of a couple spots in your lineups to where you have now a, an actual, you know, size, if you have good size on the wing, like if one of Skillings or Reed pops in year one, 
that makes a big difference. If you get a transfer in to replace a do and Koval and say that, you know, now we have a big man that's a dominant rebounder and can catch and finish at the rim. If you all of a sudden upgrade a couple spots, that's going to uplift everybody around them. It's going to make junior Mike Saunders Jr. who just turns 20 a better player. It's going to make Jared Hensley get more and more comfortable offensively and, and continue to develop and be a very solid defensive wing with a lot of upside who can now apparently dunk on skulls in, in the classic Bearcat legacy. Like things, things can happen quickly awesome. and we don't need the whole damn roster to transfer for them to happen. Exactly. That is, that, that is the message. You don't need the whole roster. A couple of guys that come in and fill the needs of the team. Cause there is talent on this roster. It's just, Sometimes you need extra pieces to help help us shine through. Well, we'll the, be funny, fine. the funniest right. part, the funniest part is that a year ago, when right the game before the last game of the season, when John Brandon stormed off the court uh, before the game was over and basically lit his career on fire. Before that happened, Justin Williams and the media in this circle, you know, the Chad Brendel, Bearcat Journal, Justin Williams, the articles in the in the Bearcat lexicon around that time were baby bearcats look at the baby bearcats carrying us going on this magical run in the in the american athletic tournament and getting us to the precipice of doing the unthinkable and actually making the tournament those baby bearcats yes it included tari eason and that baby bearcat is on the way to the nba next year right like that that is a big loss he wasn't the same guy you see that he is at lsu LSU doesn't even even start him How, how how insane is that well, yeah, I mean, he's, but he still plays like starter minutes. Um, I know. And he closes. But but alas, that also included <laughs> that also included Mike Saunders Jr. finding his footing at the end of the year. That also included Mason Madsen do, you know, doing some things, knocking down some shots. The, the point being that these same guys that we were kind of swooning over last year as they went on this sort of cool run to end the season before everything fell apart behind the scenes, we, we, these are the same guys. Like they can develop, they can improve. And I think that we've already seen flashes that Mike Saunders Jr. did add things to his game. He did get better. Am I happy? Like, did he, get, did he take as big of a leap as maybe I hoped? No, but he still could. Um, Victor Lockin has, has struggled to stay healthy, and I doubt he's ever going to be a 30 minute per game big. But you can't tell me this guy can't be a really good, productive player for us. Look at him. I think I texted, didn't I text you today? It's like, wait until this guy gets like, another season of just monster factory. Like he's just, he's, he almost has like, uh, if he was strong, he's going to have, going, he will he, have the ability. I, I'm trying to articulate this without sounding like a complete moron because of what I want to say. It's going to sound absolutely insane because he's nowhere near as big and nowhere near as dominant. And it won't be, but get this, get some meat on his bones and he can bully his way down low yeah, you know, a la Shaquille O'Neal. Like I said, he's nowhere near as big, nowhere near as dominant. But I just, I just feel that like you put that frame. He's so big, but he can bully his way in the American, and he has. To, but he has the ability to finish, which is something we haven't seen in a in a big, in in a little while. Where I think he'll have that ability to be able to post up, get down there, and and make some beautiful plays down there. Well, he has to get strong first. He's not like I'm saying, thing, Monster Factory. He's, he's not finishing right now at the rate he should. When you consider how how soft his touch is. He should finish better, but the only reason he's not is he's too, he's too he's too weak. 
He needs to get stronger. And if he spends the offseason and really dedicates himself to strengthening his core, getting stronger upper body, and being able to finish through contact, he's instantly, instantly a massive upgrade at the center position. Odio Guama spent two-thirds of the year basically not knowing what he was doing out there. And as the end of the year came into play, I still think he, he struggles to finish layups. That's a struggle. But he's active. He's a very good rebounder, and he started fouling less. And he's the one big who can occasionally catch and dunk quickly. He has some explosiveness. I'm not sure we could afford both of them to be our starting bigs, but if you get one of them to really take a bit of a leap for next year, work on their on their weaknesses, and bring in a really strong transfer big, this can turn around quickly, dude. This can be a quick, quick turnaround. Well, I, I like the way you put that because like, if, if if Victor puts his mind to it, gets into the gym, gets lets the monster factor do his thing, uh, doesn't send out any more cryptic uh, TikToks or Instagram reels. I don't but, love um, I don't love yeah. the cryptic era of Instagram and social media about you know yeah. all that crap. That stuff. Come on, come on. Yeah. So whatever that that may mean, go go hit it. And he has that ability because he, he mentioned his touch is so good. He has the ability to take a legitimate sophomore, sophomore lunge. He was a yes. red shirt, fresh red shirt comes in. Now he has his first full season and now we're, and we're, we're going to, we, we have the ability to watch him explode because he is, he's, Probably one of the most talented guys on the roster at the moment. We, we stand for Victor Locken on this podcast. I don't care what anybody says. That is a guy I believe in. I Dying have not on that sold hill. any stock. I've gobbled <laughs> it all up. I am way over leveraged. The one guy that I I'm gonna start buying. I'm gonna start buying Jeremiah Davenport stock just right now too. That's actually smart. I think buy it's buying the dip. I think it's buying the, yeah, buy the dip here. <laughs> Look, the Jeremiah Davenport thing is all mentality. It's all mentality. If he dials it back a little bit. And and kind of reigns in the decision making and kind of accepts what his strengths are and what I can do on the court. He's an incredibly effective player, but he has to accept that reality and accept that he needs to dial back the offensive aggression in terms of the the me 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 isolation stuff. If you're open and you have a glimmer of daylight, you really should be cutting it loose from three because he's a very good shot maker. But he's got and and honestly, incorporate more down low stuff. But off the dribble, it's not your game. I, I he, want to he really looks, he, He's almost more like a Keith Williams type of guy. Like watch Keith Williams playing alongside Jaron Cumberland, and Keith Keith Williams was was you know fire Keith Williams. Keith Williams as the as the leader of the of the battalion wasn't you know it it just wasn't where he was comfortable. I don't know. I, I'm buying a stock. I'm gonna I'm gonna like trust it. in West Miller. I'm gonna buy the stock. Buying the stock. Buying the he dip. Has, he has talent. That's classic comer, buying the dip. And then the, the last young guy that we should talk about who really only had his renaissance here at the end of the year is Jared Hensley. And it's very obvious what he can do defensively. I will admit, I have been skeptical as to what the future held for this guy. I couldn't see, I couldn't really see the role. But what I, what I would cling on to, if you're going to believe in what Jared Hensley can do in the future, I do think we're starting to realize this guy's a four. This guy's a, he should be the power forward position. He's not your massive hulking four, but he's very athletic. 
He's going to get stronger. And man, this sounds funny and it's probably stupid to many people. But when I went to FanFest, <laughs> the, the like the, the Midnight Madness substitute and watched these guys play, Jeremiah Davenport looked like the best player on the team. But Jared Hensley looked really, really good offensively. He looked skilled. He had this like Dirk one-legged fadeaway at one point. He was able to attack a little bit off the dribble. He was knocking down threes. Maybe there is a chance that he gets a little more comfortable offensively because we don't need him to be like a go-to scorer. We just need him to like, hey, be calm down. Like, take a breath, bro. Lay the ball in. You've got that athleticism. You've got that, that ability. And so if he can get a little more comfortable and this end of the season sparks him into, you know, gives him some momentum into this offseason development, maybe that is an interesting guy for, for the four spot. But it does get crowded down there. You've got Odie. You've got Hensley. You've got Davenport. And then you've got Reed and Skillings coming in, obviously. So very interesting future uh, in front of us. I think we've probably it gone like on. We have, it feels like we have. Feels like we have a young team, even though we do have some experience on it. Yeah, I think that's that's, that's probably the other thing we're we're overlooking is that a lot of the players that were contributors, you know, were were on the on the younger side. You know, that's where you expect a guy like David Julius to have a season like he's he's having. You know, he's well, a senior it, man. But we have to be honest with ourselves kind too. Of a role like, he's, he's, we're young, but with this the current roster is not going to take us to where we want to go. Like there are, we do have to add some pieces. I think me and you are making the case that it's not as many pieces as people think. Like there, we, we, we need top end talent at a couple key positions. Two of them are coming in as very young 18 year olds um, with a lot of upside, high basketball IQ, shot making a, a little bit of everything. What we can find in the transfer Look. portal is, is going to be interesting as well. That, and that's for next season. Let's look two years down the road. We're going to have, hopefully, a, we're going to, hopefully, I think we're still going to have these guys. We're going to have a senior in Mike Saunders Jr. We're going to have a senior in uh, uh, Mason Madsen, who hopefully develops into the, the sharpshooter that we, we hope he can. We're going to have Victor Locken also being a senior. Right, we're gonna have some of these guys that sophomore reads, you know, sophomore skillings, so, and sophomore skillings, sophomore reads. We're gonna have, you know, it's not gonna be, it's not gonna be a bad roster to build around. Are we gonna and have? Are we gonna have pieces. COVID year Jeremiah Davenport? COVID year Jeremiah Davenport. You know, if 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 Davenport, I'm saying I'm buying, I'm buying the dip, right? Buying the stock low. If he comes out next year and he's had some uh, some some solid work in the offseason, some solid, you know, getting getting together with coaches and, and really wants to, you know, really works at his craft and in excelling at what he's good at, you know, maybe he doesn't stay. He has talent. The talent's not, I'm not denying he he doesn't have the talent. I think it's it's ex it's executing on the talents that he has. You know, maybe he's going to go play professional somewhere, not necessarily NBA, but maybe overseas, whatever. He has talent. So I wouldn't be surprised if he has that ability. But if we get COVID, COVID senior year, Jeremiah Davenport with with the rest of that young with that roster turning seniors, dude, this team's going to be OK. I'm not, I'm not worried about the talent. Uh, it, it need, we need some more. 
Like I'm going to be, if we're going to, let's be honest with ourselves. There needs to be, I'm not worried about the talent because of the backfill. That's not winning the big 12. That's not making the tournament in the big 12. The backfill of the talent that we're going to be able to build around having that, the experience with those guys, I'm confident that we'll be able to have a solid squad. Well, let's leave it there. We're going to do it. We'll do a full breakdowns for the future. Although we kind of did some of that tonight. This was sort of our welcome back. Welcome back, Hummer. It was great to have you on. Get back. It's hard. It's hard, hard to be too negative because we, it's too easy to be so negative right now. It is. It's too easy. I'm, I'm hopefully people could hear the balance. Hopefully they made it through the beginning. We had just, we had just, you know, withstood a really difficult loss. Thanks to largely some atrocious officiating, bad rebounding and, Whatever else, we're all over the place. I'm okay with it. We're gonna publish it and and let it fly. We Hummer. missed so many. Actually, this this game we missed so many twos. I mean, instead of threes, we missed so many twos. Yeah, it's frustrating to watch as many missed layups <laughs> as as we do, but but alas. Yeah. All right, man. Well, Welcome back. Go get some sleep where you can. All right. Well, like I said, we don't want to sh- sweep this shit under the rug. Go Bearcats. <laughs>